0: Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert.
1: And we're the Film Flamers. Bringing you
0: another deep dive, so our second deep dive in September. And we covered Poltergeist earlier, we wanted to stay on the Evil Spirits train, and uh, so we picked White Noise to talk about, because I think it's been quite a while since either one of us has seen this movie.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time, but after seeing it, you know, it is kind of refreshing to dive into a pool that's a lot less deep. <laughs>
0: Just don't bump your head, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or scrape your knees. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, listeners, that this is not going to be a quarantine-length episode. (laughs) But hey, we've given y'all like six of those, right, at this point. So
1: (laughs) yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, White Noise is a 2005 supernatural horror thriller film directed by Jeffrey Sachs. Written by Neil Johnson and starring Michael Keaton, Deborah Cara Unger, Chandra West, and Ian McNeese. The music for the film was composed by Claude Foyze. The film's title refers to electronic voice phenomena, or EVP,
0: where voices, some believe to be from the other side, can be heard on audio recordings. The film was responsible for studios believing there was an untapped audience for horror films in January and began releasing higher quality horror films during that period, usually known as the
1: Winter Dump Months. <laughs> Sorry, Aww. I can't say that without laughing. Well, <laughs> enough with that. Hey Google, play White Noise. Facts don't care about your feelings. All lives matter. White lives matter. Stop making this about race. This? Cooperate with police. And <laughs> fine. I demand hey, to speak Google, to your stop. manager. Stop. stop. <laughs> that was enough of that. Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. That wasn't White Noise.
1: Yes, it was, Robert. <laughs>
0: It was (laughs) (laughs) actually incredibly too white.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's see if we can contact someone on the other side. Hello, is anyone with us? This is white noise.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What you are about to hear is real, it has not been edited or enhanced. It is the voice of Ruth Baxter. This voice was recorded in August 2003. Ruth Baxter died in 1987. Electronic Voice Phenomenon, EVP, is the process by which the dead, through sound and image, communicate with the living through the static and white noise of modern electronic devices. What we've all hoped to be true is in fact possible. Our loved ones can reach us. Mr. Rivers,
1: do you want to hear your
2: wife? But if they can come through, who else can come through?
1: It is one thing. To contact the dead, it is another thing to meddle, and you are meddling. Oh
2: my God! The subject of some movies is so disturbing that those who experience them will never be the same again. White noise.
0: Successful architect Jonathan Rivers played by Michael Keaton, lives with his novelist wife, Anna, played by Chandra West, and shares custody of his son from a previous marriage. He is ecstatic when Anna tells him that she is pregnant. One evening, she meets a friend for drinks, but is very late coming home. Jonathan frantically calls her and her friends, but cannot reach her. The following morning, her car is found by the water next to some very steep and slick rocks. Her tire is blown, and the door is ajar, but her body is nowhere to be found. Jonathan doesn't give up hope, and the authorities search for her. Several weeks later, Jonathan notices a man parked outside his home. When he later notices him parked outside his job, he confronts the man, Raymond Price, played by Ian McNeese, who claims to have a recorded message from Anna. Raymond explains that his son had died many years ago, and he started receiving messages called Electronic Voice Phenomena, or EVP, shortly afterward. Ever hopeful for his wife's safe return, Jonathan is initially angry and dismissive, but later police inform him that his wife has been discovered drowned and return her possessions, including her cell phone, to him. Jonathan is having a hard time adjusting to life without Anna. He moves to an apartment, begins spending less time with his son, and throws himself into his work. One day, while riding an elevator with a client, they get stuck between floors and the lights go out. At that moment, Jonathan's cell phone rings with a call from Anna's phone. He doesn't answer, and the elevator starts again, and the two meet a contractor who asks if they are okay. Later that evening, Jonathan checks Anna's phone, which is dead, but his cell rings again with Anna's number, even while hers lies dead in his hand. He gets a message on his landline that sounds like Anna, but he is only able to hear it once. He travels to Raymond's house, where he meets Sarah Tate, played by Deborah Kara Unger, a woman who has recently lost her fiancé and is also receiving messages. Raymond plays Jonathan the recording, and he is convinced that it is his wife, Anna. Raymond records these messages through a television set to a station with no signal, only static, and oftentimes faces can be seen on the screen. Jonathan becomes obsessed and begins recording white noise and listening whenever he can. On another trip to Raymond's, Jonathan accidentally hears some angry messages while a trio of black figures appear behind him and on the TV screen. Raymond tells him that not all the voices can be nice but that doesn't outweigh the good ones. Jonathan returns home, but is again called by Raymond to come over quickly. When Jonathan arrives, Raymond is dead. The house is ransacked. Jonathan calls the police. After Raymond's funeral, Jonathan buys equipment to pick up Raymond's work and hopes to contact Anna. He visits a psychic, played by Keegan Connor Tracy, who becomes terrified when she senses what he is meddling with and warns him to stop. She mentions Willow Avenue, but this means nothing to Jonathan, who leaves unconvinced of her abilities. Later, with Sarah, Jonathan discovers journals of messages that Raymond receives, including some that are very disturbing. After he is contacted by her grandmother, Jonathan visits Susie Tomlinson, a young woman whose mother died during childbirth. Apparently, Susie's grandmother had spent most of her life trying to contact her daughter after her death. Susie reveals to Jonathan that her grandmother had just died days prior, although Jonathan had been getting messages from her for over a week. Later, Jonathan sees the face of a terrified, screaming woman pressed against his TV, and hears the words Willow Avenue whispered remembering the psychic statement he travels to the street sees the shadowy figures and finds a car that has struck an electric pole whose wires have come loose a frantic woman is in the seat the same from the image on the tv she pleads with jonathan to save her baby he does but just before the woman is electrocuted Jonathan and Sarah attend the woman's funeral, where they learn that she was also a believer in EVP. They track down her name, as well as Susie Tomlinson's grandmother in Raymond's journals. They deduce that Jonathan is seeing images of people who have not yet died, and maybe he can save them. Sarah and Jonathan head to his house to go through the tapes, and they realize that Mary Freeman, a local woman feared to be kidnapped, is on his tapes. They cannot decipher where she is, however. Sarah then appears on the screen, speaking about pain. She is shocked and realizes that she might soon be dead. Later that night, Jonathan hears noises coming from the room in which Sarah is resting. He finds her standing on the edge of the building, and she falls to the glass awning below. In the hospital, she tells Jonathan how much she hurts in the exact manner they saw in the static. When Jonathan returns home, he finds his equipment in shambles, but still working. Jonathan is shown an image he recognizes and finally understands where Mary Freeman is, the same location where Anna's body was discovered, Pier 16. He races there. Meanwhile, the detective working this case comes to Jonathan's apartment and is concerned by the mess. He sees Mary Freeman's face in the static and gets a frantic phone call from Jonathan, but is unable to understand all of it. Jonathan reaches the pier and heads into the derelict building and finds monitors and recorders set up similar to his own. Three ghostly figures appear on the monitor. Jonathan finds a workbench full of torture tools and Mary Freeman tied to a chair. Suddenly, there is a man behind Jonathan. It's the same worker that helped Jonathan off the stuck elevator weeks earlier. Three ghostly figures are also in the room. Anna's image appears as well and tells him to leave now. The man explains that the three figures have asked him to bring Mary Freeman to them, as well as Anna. The three figures attack and severely beat Jonathan to death. The detective and backup arrive on scene, kill the worker, find the body of Jonathan, who appears to have fallen from a great height. After Jonathan's funeral, his son sits in the car with his mother. The radio turns to white noise, and Jonathan's voice can be heard saying, I'm sorry. His mother turns off the radio. But Jonathan's son smiles to himself in the back seat.
1: The end. So White Noise was released on January seventh, two thousand five, and was the only new film released that weekend. Although that was the first weekend that Million Dollar Baby was widely released, White Noise came in second at the box office in its opening weekend, making a little more than twenty-four million. Domestically the movie would gross more than 56 million and the worldwide box office would reach more than 91 million against a budget of only around 10 million. The success that White Noise achieved at
0: the box office was a surprise, especially for a movie released the first weekend after New Year's Day, the start of the winter dump months, and <laughs> usually <laughs> and usually one of the worst weekends for new releases. This led studios to reassess their releasing strategies for horror films. Universal chairman Adam Fogelson said during a panel, "The first weekend in January used to be a non-starter for people. We had this little horror movie, White Noise, that did business, and that's become a place where movies like that tend to operate. Womp womp. And not always very good movies. I think that we have learned now.
1: Yeah, it's become more of a like a less high quality and more of just a dumping ground for 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 movies that have theatrical releases, but they don't want to kind of they kind of want to sweep them under the carpet
0: a little bit. Yeah, they kind of expect them to not do so well sometimes. Yeah.
1: So. So, if a movie like White Noise, which was generally panned, could make a significant amount of money in January, studios quickly realized that a quality film in that genre could do even better. The following year, an elaborate viral marketing campaign gave Paramount's found footage horror film Cloverfield a $40 million opening weekend, which remained a record for January until 2014. In 2012, however, Paramount beat White Noise's first weekend success with The Devil Inside, which debuted at 35 million despite negative reactions from critics and audiences. I haven't seen that movie. Me either.
0: In 2013, C. Robert Cargill of Ain't It Cool News said Ever since White Noise was a hit in 2005, that's what started it. If you look back at every first weekend, besides expanding titles, the only new release is one crappy horror movie. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? Well, This, what, uh, 2020, what did we do in January? I mean, it seems like forever
1: ago, but wasn't it The Grudge, right? It was open, like, that first weekend in January. (laughs) White Noise currently holds 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) with an audience score of 31%. The site's consensus reads, while there are some built-in scares, the movie is muddled and unsatisfying. I don't think that's fair, personally. 7% is really fucking low. It is, and I was
0: shocked when I read that, actually. I thought for sure it would be a little higher than that. That seems incredibly low. It's not that kind of a movie. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave it a one out of four stars and called it a thrill-free thriller. Neil Smith of the BBC says that through it all, Keaton furrows his brow with impressive intensity, but his efforts are hampered by a script which requires him to do the exact opposite of what any right-minded individual would do in his circumstances.
1: I don't think that's true either. Me either.
0: <laughs> I mean, if my husband People died, I would try to contact her something After the death
1: of their. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lord. Stephanie Zacharach at salon.com gave the film a more positive review. She wrote Even if its dorky climax throws you out of the mood again, there are staticky bits of white noise that still manage to cling. <laughs>
0: I guess it's cling,
1: positive. Please. <laughs> dorky. This bitch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if an actual journalist uses the word dorky in their work. I get so, what she was trying to do here with the whole static cling thing. It does quite yeah. work. <laughs> I know. It's not funny. Your review is a little staticky, even though it's the only positive <laughs> one we've read. <laughs> what? uh so for some accolades and its legacy it was nominated for choice scary movie scene at the teen choice awards it was also included on two watch mojo lists the first being the top 10 movies that will make you paranoid and the second being the top 10 horror movies that try to make you afraid of stupid things
0: (laughs) 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 i had to include that (laughs) i will say This is the first time that we've ever had a movie that was nominated for a Teen Choice Award. At least that that we know of, maybe. But I was looking all over the place trying to find some awards it was nominated for, and that was the only one I could find. (laughs) So, there we go. Uh, The film spawned one sequel, White Noise, The Light. Uh, it was released direct to video in 2008. It stars Katie Sackhoff and Nathan Fillion, Yay. which I like both those people, so mm-hmm. I kind of want to watch this movie now. Uh, the film was not at all successful
1: and failed to recoup its $10 million budget. Yeah. I like the sequel. I don't remember very much of it. I don't know. So I oh, used to know what it was, but I remember liking it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love Katie Sackhoff and Nathan Fillion. So, yeah. I mean, I especially love Nathan Fillion. I would have yeah. like 10,000 of his babies. So why don't we get into this movie a little bit? Let's talk about uh, all of it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it happens. (laughs) The movie starts, there's a middle and an end. (laughs) So yeah, the opening of the film starts with, nobody knows whether our personalities pass on to another existence or sphere. But if we can evolve an instrument so delicate to be manipulated by our personality as it survives in the next life, such an instrument ought to record something. Thomas Edison, 1928. (laughs) So, you know, and that's an interesting point because this movie kind of deals with EVP, which isn't really dealt with a lot in horror movies, at least at that time. Poltergeist, obviously, kind of flirts with it a little bit with carolyn over the static of the tv and of course Mm -hmm. the ghost talking to her through the tv and things like that but they don't really talk about it as evp right but it's interesting here that this one is much more close to the modern evp movement of recording white noise recording static recording an empty room and then playing back the levels and like you know basically boosting different pieces of the audio spectrum to kind of see what you can hear
0: And I mean, I think it's important to note that in 2005 and today, I I mean, like those paranormal ghost hunting shows that are all Mm -hmm. over cable, right? They were just starting to become incredibly popular and people were starting to realize what EVP was. I don't think that it was like a household phrase that people talked about, right? Yeah,
1: and I feel like this kind of started a little renaissance of that because I think that this was, uh, you know, tried earlier and then probably was all over the place in the, the paranormal, you know, you know, underbelly of society, but uh, this kind of really kind of put into the pop culture in a way that it hadn't had before, like the specific tools and methods they use. And yeah, Ghost Hunters kind of compounded that into pop culture, including me watching the episode of where I just stayed this summer and, you know, at Mount Washington, where they used EVP just on like a door or two next to me, you know, and they talked to the woman that, you know, the the princess that used to basically live in that room. And she was like, I'm here. Who are you? And that was her <laughs> answer, you know. So it was kind of interesting, um, you know, to, to, to always see that and see what they, they capture. Of course, you as a viewer, you never know you know if it's bullshit or not and of course it's probably complete bullshit there was an unsolved mysteries
0: segment on it so i know that at least when i was a teen you know i i saw some evp stuff but yeah yeah i mean it was really gaining in popularity and for the life of me though like i don't i don't really watch a lot of these ghost hunter shows i've seen them before right Mm -hmm. but um until one claims that they have like actual proof of something i'm just gonna not watch it
1: Yeah. (laughs) And what's interesting is I think the the trailer for this movie kind of at least one of the earlier trailers maybe had less to do with the movie and more about EVP in general. And They played back several clips, you know, different of different things rather than really
0: show the movie. Because I was going to talk about this later on that, uh, you know, when I saw the trailer for this movie. I thought the trailer was terrifying, and I was like, ooh, I can't wait to see this, you know? And as we'll get into the movie a little bit, um, it really takes some liberties with what EVP actually is, so... Yeah. And it sort of has to, to make a really good movie, or, you know, an exciting movie, so...
1: But once we get past those title cards, you know, we meet, you know, Michael Keaton as Jonathan Rivers and his wife, Anna Rivers, played by Chandra West, and uh, apparent, you know, her apparent death. Um, you know, the first supernatural thing would be kind of the clock stopping and the radio kind of turning on by itself while he's working home alone. That's right. So
0: he's like frantically trying to call his wife who hasn't returned home from happy hour. And uh, we know that she's not drunk because she's pregnant right she says she's gonna drink water so i mean um you can't get a hold of her he falls asleep he wakes up when the radio pops on and the clock has stopped and so moving forward um when supernatural things happen to him isn't it always around the same time that the clock had stopped right that's the time of her death or something like that
1: mm-hmm. so then of course we start moving along in the story he's kind of in this Horrible in-between place where you don't know if someone's alive or dead, and you've holding out hope by one thread. And then he meets and is at kind of his worst moment, he meets um Raymond Price, played by Ian McNeese. Um and of course, which, you know, he dismisses and is angered by because he still wants to believe that his wife is alive, and this person's telling him, Hey, she's dead, and I and I've recorded her, you know, her corpse voice. <laughs> 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 her
0: course voice. Her ghost I voice. I want my cake, Bedelia. Yeah, <laughs> is her wise voice and her
1: ghostly visage. I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, he seems like a really endearing man, though. When he first like introduces himself, and he's like talking about his own loss, and he seems like somebody who wants to help. I think a lot of times when we learn of psychics or people who have things like EVP, I think the first reaction that we have is they're trying to get money out of people, right? Or they're not there for the best intentions. But it really seems like Raymond is not that guy, some sort of, you know, he's really there to help people move on from their tragedies or loss or something. And I mean, but unfortunately, you know, uh, Jonathan wants his wife to be alive. And so he's angry and dismissive toward him.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how I would react in the situation. I feel like I would be really not interested (laughs) i feel like it'd be like you know it kind of reminds me of um the movie we saw recently the unfamiliar right Mm -hmm. where people are kind of trying to take advantage of the situation and ends up being kind of a hoax and waste of time and money and emotion you know when she meets like a quote-unquote psychic or whatever and they do a seance and it's all just a show you know
0: And I mean, like, I don't know how I would react in that situation. I think that if a psychic sought me out and not the other way around, I might, you know, be a little bit more interested because I'm not going to go to one anyway.
1: Well, yeah, if it was a psychic versus like a recording, I'd be like, if they want to talk to me, they can talk to me. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't even know you. (laughs) Oh. But right after that, uh, we learn that, in fact, Anna is dead. Her body has been found drowned quote-unquote
1: yeah which is horrible um you know but uh, that makes him go back to raymond price because he kind of laid the seed and also kind of uh, meet sarah tate played by uh deborah kara unger and she is crying when he first meets her
0: because she's like just had a breakthrough with the communications that her fiance is sending I th- Didn't she say that they had an agreement that if one of them died they would Find a way to let the other one know that they were okay, and there's like some sort of life after life. Yeah, um, that they'll, that they'll be together again one day. So and so what she heard was Sarah. Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took all that time for them to uncover Sarah. Yes, mm-hmm. but as soon as uh, Jonathan sits down and listens, he I think he's convinced pretty quickly that it is his wife speaking, and because um, obviously you know your spouse's voice, and I mean when you hear it and. So I think that he is like immediately just needs more of it and becomes very obsessed like right away.
1: But at the same time, as he's getting his own little breakthrough and and showing him, you know, the tapes and the recordings that he has of his wife, we get the kind of the reveal of the evil voices that exist and the evil presence that's in this white noise along with the quote unquote good ones. Mm -hmm. What are they saying? Pig! Right? (laughs) Pig, slut, you're going to die. We're going to kill you. You know, all this just horrible shit, you know, and it's like blaring on those speakers and you know uh so raymond price is kind of run in and turn it all off and be like they can't tell be nice it's okay kind of brushes it under the carpet <laughs> yeah, and i'm like
0: he's like super Jesus. passive about it it was just made me jump i yeah. mean i
1: yeah i was like oh my god
0: i've totally forgot and uh <laughs> so when he runs in here he's like oh it's all right we're just gonna delete it like they didn't exist and i was just mm-hmm. like you fool
1: <laughs> God. yeah so he he starts to kind of mess around with it himself he gets a call from raymond later on that he made a kind of a breakthrough and please come over and then he comes over but he finds raymond has been dead and his whole room has been trashed mm-hmm. there's just shit everywhere raymond's got
0: tape shoved in his mouth it's pretty gnarly yeah it's pretty bad and of
1: course he calls the cops which you think is
0: <laughs> the whole thing is i weird. mean I, I would also call the cops if i found a dead body right but i would expect the cops to treat me as a suspect immediately and so the cops are there and they're like patting him on the back like we're sorry you had to experience this go on home to your nice apartment
1: yeah and, and I'm i think like, it's the same detective that's been working with him with his wife's disappearance. Right. You know, so I feel like there's there's a a relationship there and they kind of know why he's there and you know and everything else. So I, f- I feel like that's okay, you know, because later on in the movie we do see that through kind of visual storytelling that the, that the detective does have some suspicion towards this guy. Yes, a little bit. Yeah, and he's kind of keeping tabs on him.
0: But uh yeah, so after Raymond is found dead, um he really becomes obsessed so much so that he buys all this equipment and um stops spending a lot of time with his son. Really, I mean, his son asks, like, why they need so many TVs, and he says so we can both watch our favorite shows. Which never happens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, I mean, he is just, like, constantly searching for Anna and ends up getting other people as well.
1: Yeah, and it's getting frustrating. He's not sure how to, like, kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, per se, I guess. But, you know, we do start seeing more and more of these three figures, which you know, to me is kind of terrifying because we see them coming and going and kind of in the background. And at some point, uh, I think even later in the film, he starts seeing them too in the screen, but he doesn't really think anything of them because he's seeing all kinds of figures in there. But those three keep kind of popping up. But there is some repetition. So it's like, I'm not sure that he like how savvy he can be in that situation. You know, we're the ones as the audience getting the ominous music. We're the ones seeing them kind of in the real world, kind of behind him and in in the shadows and Mm -hmm. little flashes of them and following him and things like that. He doesn't see that he's not really privy to it, but you know, it's us. That's like, man, like there's a train coming towards you and, uh, it's not the end of a tunnel (laughs) or there's a light coming. I don't fucking know that analogy. That was a train wreck of an analogy.
0: (laughs) I got it. I I was picking up what you were putting down. (laughs) Slow moving train wreck. That's
1: what I'm trying to say. (laughs) You got there.
0: You got there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) so anyway, he goes to visit a psychic, which is actually one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie. Yeah, I really like that scene. I like that actress. Actually. Yeah, Keegan Connor Tracy uh, mm-hmm. plays Mirabel Keegan. I really like that actress, and she's she does a really good job in this. She's I feel like she's a she's supposed to be playing like a blind psychic. Psychic, yeah. And I really she does she's really explicit about this. So she's like, you are not supposed to be doing this. And it's like we take years to work with our guides to make sure that we're safe because there are things out there that just want to damage. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The ones who like damage. So I think what she says or the ones that like to destroy or something like that. And she's like, and then she kind of drops the the whole thing about Willow Avenue. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And kind of just leaves. And she's like, you need to stop. And he doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear his wife. He wants to get a message from his wife. He's obsessed. And so when someone tells you, stop, you're in danger, you in danger, girl. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, he doesn't want to in danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only that had been Whoopi Goldberg, she could have gotten through to him. Oh
0: my God. That would have been amazing. Um, What does she say? She's like, there's a difference between dabbling and meddling and you are meddling. You are
1: meddling. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good. She
0: could not be more clear to him. (laughs) To stop what he's doing. And then she even, I mean, she proves her abilities at the end when he's leaving and is very unsure of her abilities. And she's like, she was pregnant. And he's like, yeah, you know, like. He knew she was legit. He just didn't want to hear it. Yeah, because he is dead set on communicating with his wife, you know, and I mean, you have to respect that, too, though. Yeah, it's like
1: already people are dead, you know, and as much as you think the guy might have had a heart attack or something else, this is a little EP cray, you know, Mm -hmm. and so anyway, he starts to save, um, you know, people who are still alive like he gets warnings he starts thinking that he has a responsibility you know to save some of these people that he's hearing so he like goes to a car wreck you know he goes to a location that he's kind of told through the evp and finds someone there that needs to be saved and he ends up saving the baby but not you know the um not the mother before
0: he even does that though he he pays that visit to susie tomlinson about her grandmother yeah and Yeah, which is sort of like he starts to piece things together at that point to realize that he's getting messages from people who have yet to die Um, with the help of Anna, right? It's like I think he's convinced and I think we get to see some pieces of Anna showing him these things, right? Go now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah is showing him people in in horrible situations and then sh- and it's showing him Anna saying go now
0: and uh that visit with Susie I, I like that a lot too I thought that was pretty touching because he really is like sort of like taking on Raymond's work a little bit like he's not just obsessed with talking to his own wife but I think he sees what what Raymond was doing for other people and he's trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. right and Susie You know, doesn't rebuff him. She accepts it. She's happy about it, right? But she does give him that piece of information that, you know, her grandmother's only been dead for a short period of time and he's been receiving messages for much longer. So I I also jumped at that car wreck scene when that woman, you know, you see it on the TV screen when, you know, she pops up, Mm -hmm. but when she actually hits the actual car window, even though I know it's coming up, I'm like, ah! (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, because you do not really connect the two. You don't know quite what you're going to see or why it looked like that on the TV. But then you realize, like, it looks like she's hitting the TV screen from the other side. But she's actually in the in the real scene hitting the car window from the inside because she can't get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, maybe jump. Yeah. So, yeah, they were essentially revealed that they're only saving people who are dying. Uh, essentially, after a visit with Sarah, they find that, you know, through the log books, they're only saving people who are and these people are dying due to the connection with Raymond Price. Yep,
0: because he was also meddling <laughs> yep and then they
1: see sarah's recording with her saying john it hurts or something like that you know and it that hurts, freaks the fuck hurts. out of sarah and so he goes to her apartment which i'm sorry looks like a hotel room <laughs> yeah i really did <laughs> he gives her some like some sort of psychoactive drugs or something where she's like completely drugged out and then she launders to the um to the balcony through some sort of spiritual manipulation because we see those shadows in there and she essentially falls as she wakes up and is critically injured
0: yeah uh she hits that glass awning underneath the her balcony or whatever and um Which is also pretty gnarly, right? The glass is all cracked. She's all bloody. I'm surprised that she was alive. Frankly, like it's not what I expected to see happen. Like when I the first time I saw this movie, I was convinced that she just didn't want to wait to die. Like she knew she was gonna die. She was gonna be with her fiance again. She was just gonna make it happen herself and be be done with it. But wasn't quite successful mm-hmm. and it wasn't until the second viewing where i noticed those shadowy figures in the room with her and i was like oh yeah there is some sort of manipulation going on
1: yeah so then he's you know kind of he goes back after the ho- hospital visit that's when the detective's really like um did you push her out the window you know <laughs> like he, <laughs> you kind of see it in his eyes and he says he's not gonna leave town you know that's when we really get the the detective is you know kind of detective getting a little. You know, this is getting on the nose, John. Everyone that you meet is dying.
0: <laughs> for I mean, I'm glad that they added that into the movie because, like I say, when when he calls the cops and Raymond is dead, I'm like, that's not how it would happen in real life, really. But I'm glad that later on they're like, okay, someone else is now injured or near death, and you are somehow involved in it. And yeah, you know, it's still not enough <clears throat> for my taste. Like I wish the cops had been like, I'm gonna throw the book at you or something like that, but. All he has to say is, well, I'm not going to leave town. And they let him go again. But Mm -hmm. that sort of leads us into sort of the ending of the movie. Yeah,
1: he gets led astray to that construction site that's near the pier where his wife died. And, you know, through a really long sequence of working his way through that building, he finally finds someone that he's been seeing that's kind of tied up in the background. We see those three figures much more fully formed than ever before, Mm -hmm. kind of in the background, staring and looking at him. You know, and I don't think he really sees them till the end. Till so it's too late. Till so it's too late. And it's revealed that they've been using kind of the serial killer guy to to kill people and kind of manipulate to, you know, cause damage more or less.
0: <laughs> and I mean, so it's he killed Anna, right? I think is what we're supposed to The construction believe. worker, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he sat her in a chair. He took her. She probably had a flat. He took her to help and then took her captive, strapped her to a chair, tortured her to death, and then essentially dumped her body in the river. Is what happened. Is what we're, we're is kind of alluded, and that the spirits were using that guy, uh, who probably was also dabbling in EVP, because his he had to set up there too.
0: Yeah, it seemed like it. Like he also was meddling.
1: Right. All these people were meddling, and they were led to you know
0: you know terrible fates or being used in some way right Mm -hmm. um and when those figures attack jonathan in that building right it's pretty intense it's uh yeah
1: they create like some sort of tornado of you know death and destruction where he's like breaking all kinds of limbs and they're kind of turning into a human pretzel you hear all the breaking bones yeah it's pretty horrific and
0: so the cops show up and kill the serial killer Release Mary and they just assume that because he looks like hammered shit that he fell from a very great height onto the floor. That's the only way they can explain... Yeah, like the damage to his body—it was so great by those forces.
1: But before he dies, he does see his wife, and we find out the true meaning of her message, which was just taken out of context and out of exactly. time. Exactly, you know, John, go now, go, go now, you know, to get him out of there. And, and he sees her fully formed, and and but it's too late. He doesn't. He doesn't go. If he had gone, if he just broke and ran, he probably could have made it. You know, before he met the serial killer or everything, but I don't know.
0: Those things are yeah, real those fucking fast. But...
1: Ripped him apart. And those things I have to say really creep me out because essentially what's happening here is that they are touching the world wherever they're able to. These the people that are doing EVP or who knows what else. And basically kind of taking advantage of the butterfly effect and being like, hey, if um, John does XYZ and we can manipulate him to do XYZ, then this person over here is going to get in a car accident or this person that did an EVP. We're, we're able to kind of manipulate all these people's different lies to create chaos and we're... Doing it in such a way that is kind of tying them all together, so that we can kind of destroy them, kill them, maim them, and their loved ones, like they're working off a to-do list at a grocery store, so, you know, <laughs> grocery shopping list.
0: My analogy sucked today. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, I completely understand what you're saying, and you're right. I mean, like these 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 beings. I guess if we want to call them that, are spirits, I guess is a better word. Um, are literally there just to cause harm and destruction and pain to as many people as possible
1: yeah i think the wiki calls them demons
0: yeah i would demon i think is is good you know i mean so it's akin to the beast and poltergeist right it's it's a it's a a presence that just
1: really wants to cause some sort of pain and suffering. And And it's smart and it's sadistic and it's really creepy to me. When I first saw this movie, I was just like, those things, the shadows moving around and, you know, the inevitability of it, that they're being watched and manipulated and everything else is, is just, you know, super creepy to me. But anyway, I digress. At John's funeral, you know, Sarah shows up and of course, Uh, As they're leaving the funeral, um, his son and his ex-wife and her husband are in the car and the radio kind of turns on and you hear John saying, you know, I'm sorry to his son, which his son kind of understands. And of course, they're freaked out (laughs) and they turn it off and drive away. Yeah. You know, and who knows if that was the demons trying to suck his son into it, because his son would have known what his father was doing in in a roundabout way. But we don't know. That's kind of... Neither here nor there, but Sarah's outside in her wheelchair because she (laughs) survived, but she's kind of being plagued by weird sounds and sights, and then we see that the demons are hunting her. Uh, We see the three shadows kind of go across the lawn real quick of the graveyard. There's just no escape. And, I mean, even though she hasn't been doing a lot of EVP recording herself, she was yeah. a party to it. So I assume that is some kind of meddling. Yep, and you know that I don't think they're in it for to fuck with the meddlers. I think that's just a way in for them to, you know, get their claws yeah. in, so to speak.
0: <clears throat> Although, I would have ended this movie with that blind psychic also at the funeral, like, saying, Told you so, like, that's her eulogy, and just, like, mic drops or whatever. <laughs>
1: this graveyard <laughs> is clean. <laughs> <laughs> I told him he was meddling. No, I think that Psychic is smart enough to not go anywhere near those people if they're already far <laughs> yeah. into it, you know? I, I kind of want to more from her, but... She looks terrified. Let's talk about some of the characters in this, starting with, of course, Michael Keaton, which... You know, is no stranger to genre films, but this is really his, one of his most pure, like, horror that he's done, I think, if, if ever.
0: Yeah, he's in a lot of, like, thrillers, right? Like, I really enjoy his work in Pacific Heights. I think he's super creepy in that movie. Like, he's a good bad guy. <clears throat> and there's always Beetlejuice, you know? And so, like, yeah. he's, he's done a lot of genre work, right? But, I mean, like, mostly I think of him as either like just a comedic actor or batman
1: yeah he's done everything he got a start in comedy you know um mr mom and all that and you know he's he still did comedies um and probably will again you know i remember multiplicity in the 90s and stuff like that but um Beetlejuice was a huge thing, and of course, his relationship with Tim Burton has been, you know, you know, profitable for him with Batman and Beetlejuice. But then he kind of he played the bad guy in Spider Man: Homecoming, which he was excellent as. He did a really, really good job. And of course, more recently, he did an excellent dramatic turn in um, Birdman. Birdman. As well as Spotlight.
0: Oh, yeah. He was very good in Spotlight. And I didn't mm-hmm. really care for that movie too much. But, I mean, he was very good. I, I like, love that movie. I like Michael Keaton a lot. Um And so does my dad. This is one of my dad's favorite actors. And so, like, we we watched a lot of Michael Keaton movies when we were growing up. Um Yeah. He, it's so, he's such a good actor in a sense that he can do it all. He can do actiony type movies like spider-man he can do comedies and physical comedies like mr mom and beetlejuice and then turn and have a performance very dramatic like in clean and sober or pacific heights right he is just Mm -hmm. a very versatile gifted actor
1: yeah and this is he does a lot of subtle work here but overall i would say he's just serviceable um you know he doesn't really have that much to do because he's you know so ignorant to everything kind of happening around him so obsessed in one line that you know it's it's probably not fun to play like a brooding guy for an entire fucking movie no i don't know i also feel like in 2005
0: it had been a while since we've seen michael keaton in something and so it sort of felt like a return and then after white noise i feel like we didn't see him in a lot of things and now he's having a renaissance right so
1: yeah and then we have Chandra West, who played his wife Anna Rivers, and she's no you know stranger to horror either. She was in a couple of Puppet Master movies, among other kind of cheaper horror movies. Uh, I thought she was good in this movie. She's she's very pretty.
0: She smiles right. She's got a nice warm face, and yeah. um, I she d- looks good and static. Yeah, you know, Jonathan, <laughs> my love. Yeah, I mean, like she's she's not in it for very much, right? We mostly get to you know sort of like hear her voice throughout the movie, and that's it. But you know, she's a, she's a good catalyst for the movie to really start. You yeah. Know.
1: And uh, then we have, you know, Sarah played by Deborah Kara Unger, who I feel like is woefully unused in film. Like, I really love her screen presence. I love her voice. Uh, she was really excellently used in Silent Hill, uh, which you still have to see. Yeah. I uh, seen she so had I a really know. cool kind of meaty uh, part to play where she's a little crazy, which I loved. She's in the movie Crash the Cronenberg movie about
0: people who get you know sexually aroused by a- automobile accidents <laughs> and so this is what I remember her from always so when when I went to go see White Noise in the theater I was like oh it's that lady from Crash <laughs> I was like, I'm like oh that's that lady from Silent Hill <laughs> <laughs> I was like I wonder if she's going to be having sex in a wrecked automobile
1: too bad she didn't find that you know car crashed against the electric pole she'd be like oh I'm so horny you know who she reminds me of who she reminds me of the of the actress in Gone Girl. Oh, um, Rosamund Pike. Yeah, Rosamund Pike. Yeah, they have a very similar looking face, right? Mm-hmm.
0: They really. I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Oh, I love yeah. Gone Girl. <laughs>
1: Such a good movie. And then we have the wonderful in McNeese as Raymond Price. And of course, he's been in like the Dune series, the Rome series from HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in From Hell, I think. And uh, he's been in like a lot, a lot of everything. He's made a very big career for himself.
0: Yeah, he's the kind of actor that you see in a movie like White Noise. And you're like, where have I seen him before? Right? And you have to sort of remind yourself. of everything. Yeah, every, every <laughs> motherfucking thing. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, (laughs) because I forgot all about Rome. That's a good show, too. Yeah. And we have Keegan, Connor, Tracy, who we mentioned earlier that we really enjoyed as Mirable Keegan, the um, psychic. Is that really her name, Mirabel Keegan, based off of her first name? I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's what she's <laughs> billed as, Mirabel Keegan. You got know that or typo typoed. But <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, she was in Once Upon a Time as the Blue Fairy, and uh, she's also been in, in genre shows like Stargate SG-1 and Battlestar Galactica.
0: Who's she playing in Battlestar Galactica?
1: She was one of Baltar's, um, you know, worshippers near the end of the show. Oh, okay. And uh, did you also notice Aaron Douglas, who played Garen Tyrell as the father of the baby he saved? yes he's like leave me yeah. alone that yeah. i did
0: notice because i was just like oh i was like Battlestar.
1: <laughs> and then of course in the sequel we have you know katie sackoff katie sackoff so there's a lot of Battlestar people going you know floating through these movie, these white noise movies which is interesting to me
0: keegan connor tracy is also uh, a really good character one of my favorite characters in final destination 2 so yeah i i mean t- talk about like a, a quirky looking face right she's, she's interesting looking actress and i just i like her very very much
1: mm-hmm. and that kind of rounds out our, our the meat of our the meat god <laughs> i can't make a noise today um that kind of rounds out our cast our main cast right we also have like mike doped Dup- as like detective smiths and uh, mitchell costerman as the workman or the killer you know who are fine you know whatever um i only mention them because who knows they may end up being in hottest guy segment later on Uh, It's
0: possible. Um, And I mean, they're only in the movie in a couple scenes each. Right. Um, And not in a memorable way like Keegan-Connor Tracy is. She's in one scene, but it's incredibly memorable. So, I mean, but I mean, you have to have supporting characters in movies. And, you know, this one has these two. So what do you think? Do you believe in EVP? I mean, like, I want to say no you know i don't really think that i believe in ghosts right but i i mean i will i say that and i grew up in a house that i feel is kind of haunted like my parents think it was haunted right strange things happened that we couldn't really explain and i think that if i had tried some sort of evp as a kid i mean i I may have gotten something so i mean like my brain says no but like deep down my heart says yes
1: you know (laughs) so (laughs) so i feel like for me it's similar like i i don't i don't think it's real but also my heart doesn't want it to be <laughs> like, yeah i, I don't want to like record something and try and prove something and then hear something and never be able to live anywhere ever again you know like, i mean like if, i don't want to deal with that
0: if if you go to edit this episode in that pause from when we were introducing the trailer and you hear a voice or something like that then i mean like definitely share
1: it with me yeah like it depends on what i hear if it's like yes, yes versus yes <laughs> you know then <laughs> Because
0: to me, like, so the first time I saw this trailer, I really wanted to see this movie because the trailer is very, very effective. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. tell you anything about the movie. It's just telling you what EVP is, right? And playing some of those real-life snippets from EVP that's been recorded, right? Where it's like, get out of the house and stuff like that, you know? I'm like, that's some scary fucking shit. And uh, so, I mean, like, I... (laughs) As an idea, I think the EVP is frightening. This is not something that I would do because I also think it's kind of like meddling, you know, like you shouldn't do things like that. Like, I'm not really one to play with a Ouija board or, or things, you know, I'm not a religious person per se, but I mean, if there are things there, if there's something sharing space with me that I can't see, like, I don't want to know that it's there. That's what there. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just <laughs> like, know? I would rather just live my life. We can coexist. And that's it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, some people view it as like echoes or these people are like lost in time, you know, and that kind of brings it back to the way these spirits kind of manipulate these, uh, these demons kind of manipulate these EVPs. They're bringing them out of time to manipulate you into thinking, saying, doing what they want you do and you know who knows we don't know anything about this this stuff and so some of it may not be as clear and you may not understand even the simplest of message out of context you know so it's like why even go there if it was real
0: i will say that this movie doesn't really tackle evp for me right because it's not really what evp is like um at least in my mind i always think of like tape recorders and things like that i never think of having a channel set to static Even though I've seen spirits talk, you know, through TVs and movies before, right? But um, yeah, I just... And then when they start to see their faces appear in the static and stuff like that, I'm like, that's not what EVP is either, you know? They're taking a lot of liberties with uh, an idea. But, I mean, effective, right? And I think just a movie of them playing tapes back would be a little boring. They need to change it up a little bit and have these, like, you know, spirits, like, faces show up in TV screens and things like that. Yeah.
1: I only have one fun fact for this movie. What? <laughs> it's not very covered. <laughs> and apparently, you know, we talked about Michael Keaton's performance, right? As kind of being a one note. And on the DVD commentary, Michael Keaton actually admitted to phoning in some of his scenes and apologized to the director, wow. Jeffrey Sachs, for his performance. I don't see a problem with Michael Keaton's performance, although I felt I felt like the character in the writing was more one note than he was. You know, like I don't, yeah. didn't blame Michael Keaton for anything.
0: I don't think it's not his fault. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of um,
1: convolutedness to
0: this script.
1: Yeah, like like Jack Nicholson, ironically also in Batman. But I mean, like Michael Keaton has a natural cadence to his normal speech pattern that you know he he's one of those people that could read the phone book and it would be like more interesting than not. Right. So. You know, I, I feel like that's fine. Whatever. Phone it in. You're still Michael Keaton, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that, is, that, that was a fun fact.
0: I'm used to having much more than that. <laughs> so. um, okay. Well, then let's uh, ask some questions about white noise like we always do here at the Foam Flamers. And we'll start with, were you scared while watching white noise?
1: Yes. And especially the first time, um, you know, those things freaked me out those shadow people they are never really true truly explained which i always love in horror i'm a broken record about this um a broken staticky white noise record <laughs> and you know uh when it doesn't explain things it there's more to fear because we fear what we don't know right and so or we are not comfortable with and the fact that we can see this thing hunting him watching him uh this trio of things like why is it a trio like we don't know what what do they really want? What are they really capable of? These things are really really creepy to me. Some of the scariest horror movie monsters are you know, or appearances are just the shadows, are just things in the background that you can't quite see or make out. And uh, upon this view, I was less scared because you can tell. Instead of doing some sort of abstract shadows, and like in a couple of scenes, they do like flashes of weird CG, like watery creature things for these guys and it was really kind of stuck out like a sore thumb on this watch versus when i watched it originally back in the mid 2000s 15 years ago fuck yeah. um you know it was a lot scarier and um you know more visceral than now but i still got scared because it's to me like white noise is one of the creepiest things as far as like the horror movie monster you know what I mean?
0: yeah i, I was there's some moments where i was scared i know i was probably a lot more scared the first time that I watched it but I've only seen this movie twice so once in the theater and then now for this podcast um and not because you know I thought it was a bad movie when I watched it the first time I liked it you know and it scared me enough I just haven't revisited it right but those those trio that trio of figures is really creepy and scary and for the reasons that you said it's not explained You can't really see anything. It really is just a shadow. I kind of liken them to the Fates, right? In Greek mythology, who also worked as a trio, like they're sort of like pulling the strings like the way the fates do, right? And so I yeah. think that's really terrifying. How
1: poetic! Think. You have a Dickensian proclivity, you know. I was I was about to say, like, it kind of reminds me of, like a Freddy Krueger, but it doesn't have to be your dreams. You can't quite see him. There's none of the jokes, and it has a wider agenda where you're just a small piece of it. You know, right. it's just really fucking creepy. It me? is.
0: It's terrifying to know that your life is not within your control, right? Like there's things happening around you. You have set things in motion that you know you you could he could have saved himself right if he would have discuss, deciphered that message a little better from his wife he wouldn't have been in that situation right he had an escape but ultimately there was no escape
1: yeah the idea that you're a puppet on a string to something you can't see here a touch that has ulterior motives that's supernatural and like not in this world really freaks me out i guess you could just call that christianity but it, i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah. that's why <laughs> Maybe just call that religion in
0: general. <laughs> uh, so, I guess on with that being said, would you call White Noise a horror movie through and through? Yeah, I like it has all the beats of a normal horror movie. It has some yeah. pretty effective jump scares and like Dolby shocks and things like that. Like it's it's
1: it's yeah. good on that level and and multiple layers too because there's the supernatural horror element, but there's also adult fear here exactly. You
0: know? And I mean, you could talk about more like real life horror, like experiencing the loss of a spouse, right? And seeing what he goes through as a, a you know a new widower is is frightening to think of, right? I, I don't want to think about losing my spouse, but movies like this
1: you know, give you a way to, to do that. At the same time, we do have to mention, and I, I can't believe we, this hasn't come up, I need to find the real estate agent that is servicing people like Michael Keaton and Sigourney Weaver in these movies. You know? For
0: <laughs> real? Because I was having such a copycat flashback watching this. I was just like, what a fantabulous apartment.
1: I was like, Christ. Was- <laughs> and then the house before that with their private boat dock and everything else. Yes! And-
0: and it was like that just everything about his, his property was good. And I would expect nothing less from an architect, right? He wants to live in a good looking, interesting looking place. But that apartment with those like floor to ceiling windows, right? Mm-hmm. Made me miss your house, actually. Your old house. <laughs> I was just like, God, I love those windows. Shit. Yeah. Uh, okay. So out of five stars, what would you rate uh White Noise.
1: I rated it a three and a half. Um, it's not a great movie, but it scares me enough more than most horror movies that it gets some extra points. And so it kind of found itself at a three and a half mark for me.
0: I also gave it three and a half stars and at the time when I did it it was sort of a gut reaction and then I thought maybe I'm being too generous right but no I mean it's it's a good movie like it kept my attention I enjoyed watching it Um, it made me think about what life was like in 2005 I was just like where, where did I see white noise I was living in New York at the time when this came out right and so it really was just like. I mean, not quite a nostalgia boner because I haven't seen it that many times. And 15 years ago really isn't that long, although it feels like it. But
1: I feel like three and a half stars is to start dumping ground for things that are just on the edge of being so much worse or so much better. Right. It could go (laughs) either way, you know, and I could change my mind later on if I watch
0: White Noise again, you know. And I may or may not be watching it anytime soon, but I certainly want to watch the sequel. I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, the sequel delves more into... Uh, less about EVP and more about uh, the NDE, right? The near death experiences. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh,
0: okay, so finally, and some might say most importantly, who's the hottest guy in White Noise?
1: You know, I think the detective's kind of hot, but I was gonna say I just I have to go old school and say Michael Keaton. He is the lead.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, honestly, when I started watching the movie, I was like, well, of course, it's going to be Michael Keaton, but that's not my choice. So, my choice is actually uh, Mitchell Kosterman, the
1: serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, it is.
0: <laughs> Whenever they're getting off that elevator. Yeah, he didn't he's, kind of have
1: a rugged look to him. He was um, standing
0: there in that, like, construction worker, you know, outfit. I want to say outfit, but that's not what it is. It's like a uniform. God, that sounds gay. Okay. But uh, I was just like, oh, hey, daddy. I'm <laughs> just like my god
1: yeah and he does kind of give me like a nick offerman vibe
0: yeah so i was just like yeah he's it and then i totally forgot the ending of this movie and so uh when he arrives at that, you know, pier and it's him, I'm like, oh, shit, it's that guy from the elevator. And I was like, it's that sexy daddy. I was like, now I got to now I got to change my choice for hottest guy. I thought I was like, I'm going to be so clever just picking someone who's in like one brief snippet of a moment. And there he is, like the fucking villain. No. You know, he's going like- to come
1: back. I mean, it's, it's like there the camera lingers on him. Like, <laughs> you know, he like does a close up of his, of his face after he, he speaks. Just like looking at the. <laughs> it's like yeah it's one of those things when the camera lingers and you're like yeah that's gonna come back
0: i was just thinking how hot he was i wasn't thinking about the progression of the film so there there's my choice serial killer right happens all the time didn't i also pick the serial killer as the hottest guy and copycat yeah, too? I think both so, yeah. of them yeah i think so. over
1: to my Mont- R- 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 <laughs> yeah i think we fought a little <laughs> about that one too it's like dude <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe they're just like evil men I don't know
1: so they did their hardest to make Harry Connick Jr. look like a, a fucking rat trap he's still sexy though I love Harry Connick Jr. my god hope floats I love that
0: movie <laughs> oh shit Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on White Noise. Uh, We want to know what you guys think about the movie and our conversation. Uh, You can look for us on social media at The Film Flamers on
1: Twitter, Facebook, or even Instagram. Or you can email us at TiredQueens at com. or, as you know we do love our voicemails and you can give us one by calling 972-666-7733 uh, we would also encourage you to do some meddling create your own evps and send them our way <laughs> that don't do that. oh please <laughs> I will not listen to them and forward them directly to Robert.
0: (laughs) I will do the meddling for the Film Flamers. We haven't mentioned this in some time, but we're also on Letterboxd, so every time that we give our rating and the questions, it's right over there on Letterboxd as well. So go search for the Film Flamers and give us a follow.
1: Also join us over on Patreon, where all of these episodes are coming out a little bit early, sometimes a lot early. And uh, we're also going to be covering Stir of Echoes. That's right. That's what our patrons chose for our poll this month. That's right. You too can participate in polling and choosing what we cover over there on Patreon. So uh, make your way over to Patreon.com/slash/TheFilmFlamers and become a film flamer too. That's right.
0: 1999 Kevin Bacony goodness. is what y'all chose, and I'm pretty happy with it. So
1: yeah, I've never seen it, so I'm excited and of course next week we will be covering our hot takes which we haven't done in some time that's right since uh the early part of july was the last time that we
0: released any sort of recommendation or talked about the things that we've been watching and i know that we both have quite a list i'm gonna have to go through and like pick and choose the best things to talk about for sure
1: yeah we do have some diamonds in the rough to talk about so stay tuned for that so
0: thanks again for all the support, and until next time
1: John go down <laughs> Robert end it now <laughs> Willow Avenue Sweet, Sweet dreams
0: Jonathan you in danger girl
1: Jonathan <laughs>
0: Ditto Oh <laughs> well, I want to talk about ghosts one day too <laughs>
1: We do we need to I like ghost